the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I alluded a couple of segments ago to how the the Democrat primary is shaping up, and we know certainly there's been a bit of a surge uh, going into Iowa by uh, Bernie Sanders and how the Democrat uh, official party machine may gear up to respond to all of that with a sense of shock and horror. Who knows? Uh, Time will certainly tell on that. One of the other candidates that um, for a while was almost considered to be uh, certainly number two behind Joe Biden uh, for viability um, has been Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren, though, has got some ideas that kind of sound very, uh, what's the word? Oh, yes, socialist in nature. And one of the more surprising ones as we continue our conversation with lawyer, author, and syndicated talk show host Bob Zadek is the notion that Elizabeth Warren says, oh, all this pesky student loan, let's let's just wipe it out. Let's let's get rid of all of this. Um, and, you know, I, I, some of it being very Bernie Sanders-esque in, in proposal. The one thing that I've always uh, been surprised with, as much as there's been so much dialogue about uh, the amount of student debt in this country, is the fact that we seem to have a major disconnect in recognizing that the number one holder, the one or number one beneficiary of student debt in America is, in fact, the the United States Treasury. So what of Elizabeth Warren plan to cancel student loan debt? And um, where do you think that might go, if at all? Oh, my God, there's so much to unbundle, Craig. I'm uh, I'm really so glad you asked the question. Uh, First of all, a minor aside, an amusing aside, uh, I'm reminded of um, a candidate for a statewide office, I think it was, in in Kentucky or West Virginia, a state in that part of the country. That's, and the candidate was offering um, a large tax decrease, a tax cut, to a certain segment of the population. If I am elected, I will lower the taxes on, on these groups of people. And he was sued for and prosecuted criminally, you know what, for Craig? For improperly offering to buy votes, bribing somebody Mm. to vote. (laughs) It's against the law to pay somebody or to offer any compensation for their vote. And it was held, he was so close to the line, somebody actually, I don't recall the outcome, but I found the cause of action to be so fascinating and one can say, if you want to be somewhat cynical, is this just an attempt to buy everybody's vote with federal dollars, to buy at least the student's vote, or the parents who are paying off the student loan debt? 
Um, so that's an aside. I don't want to belabor that. I just offer that because it came to mind. No, but I, I appreciate you bringing that up because there is that, that often that sense of, um, well, here we are. There, there is a, a bit of a payoff going on here. If everybody knew instantly that they were going to receive the equivalent of a gift of a 25 or I think the average student loan debt is about $50,000 in America today, somewhere in that neighborhood, everybody knew they were going to get a gift of fifty grand. Boy, wouldn't that entice you to vote for any candidate? And that, I'm reminded of colonial America when it was accepted that you would offer people bottles of liquor to vote for you. And there were no secret ballots, so you couldn't lie. Um, and that was norm. That was how elections were won. In fact, I remember, I think it was, it was Madison who was giving out liquor in colonial America to be elected to something. So it wasn't all frowned upon. But let's get back to Elizabeth Warren, because it's too much fun to pass up. So Elizabeth Warren wants to pay off all the student debt. Now, the first thought that came to my mind is, why st- what is special about student debt? I bet you most students have car loans. Why not pay off the car loans, too? If you're paying off debt of students, why stop it? There's no thing special about a student debt. My second comment is, this is a debt that somebody voluntarily undertook, either the student or the parent, or both, because they said, we will borrow money to use for tuition because it makes economic sense. We are getting something which we consider to be valuable. We don't have the cash. So nobody was deceived. People just made a bad decision. So now this is the mother of all bailouts. We are bailing out people from a bad decision. Third of all, it is an indictment of many colleges. If the student loan debt was a bad spending decision, that means the college overcharged. They didn't give value for the tuition. So why not make the colleges who overcharged pay off the student debt? Well, moreover, there seems to me, Robert, to be a potentially slippery slope here in that if the argument is, as it typically goes, that it is straddling young people at the start of their career with this huge economic burden. They will have to work X number of years to struggle to pay back that student debt and how burdensome that that is and how disabling that is at the sense to the start of their career. Okay, if we, if we um, work with that argument for the moment, then why don't we next say that, gee, for young couples getting married and starting a family for the first time to try and get married, raise a family, and buy a house at the same time and make the mortgage payments and care for the, uh, the the expenses of raising a child or two or three? Well, that's just too much. Why don't we pay off the mortgage for every family that has, say, uh, two or more kids under the age of 12? That's, that's, Craig, you're doing exactly the right thing. You take the proposal and say, if it's a good idea, why not pay them all kinds of money. Why not write them a check for 100 k And why should the people with student debt, who per se made a bad decision, get a bailout from the government? Remember, there was that exchange, Craig, which I'm sure many of your listeners saw, when a, uh, a parent, a father of children who had gone to college, and the father 
paid cash. Scrimped and saved and paid cash. So he doesn't get a check from Elizabeth Warren. He went to candidate Warren and said, I paid cash. Why should I be deprived of my $40,000 check? Will you reimburse me for my college? And she said no. So in other words, this is a payment made to the people who mismanaged their finances out of the pockets of those who manage Well, and let, let's stop right there, Robert, because this goes even a step further. If we continue this from the sublime to the ridiculous, and the, the pivot point is, as, as you seem to be suggesting, the fact that there is a loan in place, then why, moving forward, wouldn't any family, whether they're of means or not, say, look, it doesn't make sense for us to write a check and pay for your education. Let's instead go out and get a student loan and then have the government repay you or forgive that student loan indebtedness. So essentially now we have shifted the burden entirely for education from being participatory between grants, Pell Grants, student loans, and uh, and uh, what have you to say, okay, then the government will pay it all. I mean, who would write a check to send their child to college if they knew the government would simply come in and reimburse it because it's student debt? The answer is nobody smart. Yep. That's for sure. <laughs> and then in addition to which, in addition to which, to double down, there was recently, just in the last couple of days, some journalism uh, that indicated, the journalists found after investigation, that Elizabeth Warren, who is aggressively trying to close down private schools, charter schools, religious schools paid for with vouchers that the government gives, she is, because she's in the pockets of the uh, teachers union, she's trying to eliminate private schools and charter schools being paid for with vouchers issued by the government. And everybody who values freedom loves vouchers because it gives the money to the buyer of education, the student, rather than the seller, the school system. So it's, it's individual freedom. But Elizabeth Warren was asked, did your kids go to public school or private school? And she quickly said, they went to public school, she said proudly, until it was discovered she lied. And her kids went to private school. She didn't want to tell anybody. So the utter hypocrisy involving education uh, is just astonishing. And in this case, she's getting called out, and it's punitive. It's punishing the spend. It's benefiting the spendthrift at the expense of the frugal. So if anybody out there is listening and they are careful with their finances, this is a tax on them to pay for the people who are careless and with their finances. So have a good time paying for the people who aren't careful with the dollars that you earn by being careful. That's what this is. It's a, a tax on the careful. And, and sadly, the, the notion here, you alluded to this at the very get-go, that it is almost a suggestive of, look, uh, do this for me, oh, and I'll do that for you. Help get me elected, and I'm going to make certain that uh, there is a sizable cash payout in the end with no thought given to whether or not financially, fiscally, for the government that is already, what, close to $24 trillion in debt, whether or not we can even afford to take this additional debt on, which one way or the other... We're going to have to pay back. Bob Zadek, host of the Bob Zadek Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. on 860 a.m. The Answer, our sister station here in the Bay Area. You can get more information about his musings, insights, podcasts, and his most recent book 
online by going to bobzadek.com. That's B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. And be sure to, uh, be sure to uh, check out his broadcast, Sunday mornings, 8 o'clock, 860 AM, The Answer, The Bob Zadek Show. Bob, as always, we appreciate the time and the insight. 620, they say, and 618 as the crow flies. See where that crow is flying <laughs> toward? Is the crow? Do crows have traffic lanes? I don't know. Let's find out from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Ever wonder about the teachings of the Church of Mormon, um, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, more officially called? Ever wonder how you can better relate to Mormons? How about the matter of speaking the love of Christ into the life of a Mormon? My guest tonight has written a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. Mark Carers pastors a church right in the heart of Mormon country in the great state of Utah. He joins us now. And Mark, great to have you on the program. Oh, thanks for having me on, Craig. Understanding a bit about the nature of where you minister, I guess um, by the very nature of your uh, geographical location, you have to be a bit of a bit of an expert on this topic, don't you? A little bit. I, I am actually in southern Idaho, just a little bit north of Utah, but uh, we still are in uh, predominantly Mormon country. So yeah, that's our culture. So There have been so many books written on this topic, but you've kind of taken a decidedly different angle to this, haven't you? Yes, uh, there are a lot of uh, books out there, and I think a lot of the books um, end up trying to get Christians to debate Mormonism with Mormons, and our approach is more to try to find their stress points where more the religion of Mormonism is actually putting stress in their lives and then witnessing Christ to those stress points. Help us understand some basics here. First off, I think oftentimes we try to get into a major debate over Scripture, things of that sort, and um, as much as I've learned from your book that Mormons are not as versed with the Book of Mormon, for example, as most uh, Christians, I think, would expect them to be, uh, we also know certainly that there is a a bit of a challenge sometimes in terms of uh, linguistics here and the language that we use and what we mean by a, a certain phrase or a certain word is not exactly what they mean. I mean, for example, I would imagine that if most Christians went up to the average Mormon friend of theirs and said, well, you know, I believe Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son, that he's uh, a deity, and uh, that um, through his work on the cross I'm saved, uh, most Mormons would agree with that statement, wouldn't they? Oh, they sure would, and, and you know, that's frustrating because many Christians know that they don't believe the same thing, but it's sometimes also frustrating from the LDS or the Mormon perspective, and, and the problem is uh, when we are using the same words but defining them differently, we end up talking past each other. Uh, just one quick example, that word salvation, um, in Mormonism it has various meanings, but most Mormons, when they hear that word salvation, equate it to physical resurrection, in the sense that what Jesus did is he conquered you know, physical death, but then where they end up in eternity will depend on a lot, a lot of their own obedience. The, the Book of Mormon passage that is quoted the most often is Second uh, Nephi, where it says, By grace you are saved, after all you can do. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about that, if you're sincere about that, I don't know about you, but, you know, going to bed at night and saying, did I do absolutely everything I could do today? I I could never answer that. Well, and I think of that in light of um, passages like uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. 
um, where distinctly we are told that this gift of salvation is one entirely uh, by grace through salvation, I'm sorry, uh, through faith and not by works. And yet suddenly, I mean, i got to tell you right now, uh, Pastor Cares, if my salvation was wholly dependent upon my good works, um, yeah. <laughs> I'd be in big trouble. Oh, yeah, me too. I'll be right with you. And, and, and you know, that's the message we're trying to get out to the LDS um, is that uh, they don't have to carry this big burden of trying to earn their salvation. Um, they do talk, you know, Mormonism does talk about grace like in that passage, but really, as Paul says in Romans 11, if you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. Help us understand uh, how we can sort of establish common ground. I mean, for example, uh, we know that there are multiple books that provide a source of teaching to Mormons that is distinct and very different from, well, certainly evangelical Christians in that uh, there is the Book of Mormon, there is the Pearl of Great Price, there is Doctrines and Covenants, um, and, and they also, to a degree, embrace um, canon scripture, but um, they see it in a different light, I would imagine, considering the fact that so much of the, the teachings that we see of the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price, and Doctrines and Covenants contradict canon scripture. So what's, what's the thought here? Where, what role, or in terms of the, the hierarchical acceptance of the authority of of Scripture that we know, again, canon Scripture versus the Mormon Scripture, where does that fit in? Well, the, um, the LDS Church uh, accepts the Bible, and a lot of uh, Christians are, uh, they don't understand that the LDS Church has not changed the translation of the Bible, the one that they use. They use the King James Version, but with a caveat, insofar as it's been translated correctly. And what they really mean by that is they believe that in the transmission of many plain and precious truths, as the Book of Mormon says, many plain and precious truths have been lost from Scripture. So they can immediately then discount any apparent controversy or or contradiction, rather, uh, between Mormon teachings and um, canon Scripture by simply saying that, yes, it is true insofar as it has been translated accurately. Yeah, correct, and that's why they call their gospel the restored gospel, because they you know, they sincerely believe that it was uh, something that was lost, and now it's been restored. What kind of weight or authority does the Book of Mormon itself play within Mormonism? And I, and I ask that question. We know that they subtitle it as a, the Other Testament of Jesus Christ. Um, and many of us that are around the periphery are familiar with some of the history. We know about uh, the angel Moroni. We know about the translation of all of these gold plates, Joseph Smith finding the plates, Eventually, these plates managed to conveniently get taken back up into heaven, so none of the original source content is as available as a point of comparison. But when we talk about the Book of Mormon itself against other um, Mormon writings, such as the Pearl of Great Price or Doctrines and Covenants, how how authoritative is it? Um, they, they highly respect it, and they look at it as authority. The interesting thing from a non-Mormon perspective, from a Christian's perspective, is that the Book of Mormon really doesn't teach that many doctrines of Mormonism. It's really more of a historical account, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a historical 
uh, supposed historical account of what happened with the early um, American uh, Native Americans, and they believe that they came from Israel and they were Jews and so forth. Really, the Mormon doctrine is really taught mainly in doctrines and covenants, that other scripture that you mentioned. So that being the case, then, maybe that helps us understand why there's a comfort level that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has in distributing copies of the Book of Mormon um, uh, to people outside of the church, because it really doesn't rede- reveal the depth of many of the doctrines that we're going to talk about today. And so as a result, it's perhaps less uh, less threatening to the church. Is that a fair comparison? I would say that's a real fair comparison. I always say what it does do when they uh, introduce the Book of Mormon, it introduces the ideal, idea of additional revelation and plants that seed. And I think that's where they really uh, make, in a sense, a smart use of it, if you want to put it that way. And additional revelations. And then, too, that brings us to an important point here that we want to make at the very get-go of our conversation today. And that is, unlike the sense that we have within revealed truth of Scripture, within mainline Christendom, you know, the notion of uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and forever in heaven is his word settled, that there is not a lot of change or shifting going on within core doctrine of the teachings of Christianity. That isn't to say that there aren't aspects of different branches of Christendom, different um, doctrines, I'm sorry, denominations within Christendom that might view different issues differently. But there's, generally speaking, not a lot of shifting going on when it comes to the fundamental teachings of um, uh, canonical Christian teaching. However, that is not the case when it comes to Mormonism, is it? In theory, it is not. They believe in progressive revelation. Um, they don't change their core teachings that much, but they do a lot of changes cosmetically, and there's always that potential of uh, having a major change coming from the living prophet who is really the president of the, of the LDS Church. They believe that he gets direct revelation from God to guide the church. If you've just joined our conversation, Pastor Mark Kerr is on the line with us today. He's author of a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. Brand new book, by the way, available through Amazon. You can check it out online at Amazon.com. Also through Truth in Love Ministries. The easy way to go there is simply T-I-L-M dot O-R-G. Think truthinloveministries.org. Got a brief time out. Come back to more of our conversation with Pastor Mark Cares, a look at speaking the truth in love to Mormons. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Spending some time on this edition of the program with Pastor Mark Cares. He's the author of a new book called Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. And as we're learning, uh, there are major differences when it comes to the foundational teachings of historical Christianity, um, certainly evangelical Christianity, and now beginning to understand different mindset when it comes to matters that we're familiar with, sin, salvation, sanctification, um, being saved by grace, as we see uh, within Ephesians 2. Now it comes down to how do we go about relating to share the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and toward that end, one of the points that you make early on in the book, and I think maybe it's a good starting point here, Pastor Cares, and that is to understand that Mormonism just, it isn't simply a religion, is it? It really is a culture in and of itself. 
Oh, it sure is, and and that's especially like in the Intermount West where I live, it's very very predominant. But wherever uh, LDS people live, uh, they're they're joining much more than a religion. They're members of a culture. Uh, uh, their entire lives are often just wrapped up in the church. All right, let's begin with some points at which we can find common ground. Uh, you know, unfortunately, there are some Christians that like to be able to get into a biblical debate and um, want to, you know, sort of fire uh, doctrinal barbs uh, across the bow as an effort to try and, and convince a Mormon of the differences between the uh, the two belief systems. I would suspect, though, at the end of the day, that's not going to be all that successful. No. Um, too often, I think, uh, we are trying to win the battle and not win the person. <laughs> and our, our uh, we're trying to win the person. Then. And that means that common ground that you're talking about. And... A big a switch came in my thinking as I've been trying to do this is when uh, I used to, uh, you know, talk to the Mormons about the things that bothered me about Mormonism, and we might get into debate, but they were kind of run away. But when I started to talk about the things that they were exper- ex- experiencing stress over, like being forgiven and so forth, it was like they came to me. I can still remember many LDS people coming after me and asking me more questions. And when that started to happen, I realized, oh, this is a common ground. And the common ground are the stresses that they are experiencing. Just let me give you a, a, just one example. Uh, uh, it comes in many ways, but the Mormonism talks a lot about repentance, and that sounds good to us as Christians. But what we have to realize is that is the way they define repentance is a very painful process and a very long process. And one of the steps in their repentance is the abandonment or the forsaking of sin. And this is how one local leader explained it to me. He says, Mark, it was like this. If I took the Lord's name in vain when I was 17 and I repent of it, God forgave me. But maybe when I was in my 20s, I took God's name in vain again. That means I wasn't truly repentant because I repeated the sin, and thus I wasn't forgiven even for the first sin because I wasn't truly repentant. Um, forgiveness is something that uh, is very hard to come by in the Mormon church. There, there was a classic book written a number of years ago, but you know it's a classic in Mormonism, and this is a quote from that book. It says, it depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks, it could be years, it could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you, that depends on your efforts, your humility, your sincerity. Well, I mean, that puts the whole core message of salvation um, through faith by grace entirely on its head, because what you're telling me then is that if I, if I sin, I repent of that sin, and then weeks, months, years later, I stumble again and I sin a second time in that same arena— uh, you're suggesting that, well, uh, therefore, obviously, that, that repentance didn't take, so to speak. Um, it almost sounds as if this is based entirely on the goal of trying to attain perfection in life. Yes, it, it really is. And one of the passages that is quoted quite often in Mormonism, even today, is Matthew 5.48. Be ye perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. All right, I understand that, but let me interrupt. What do we do with passages of Scripture where Paul tells us about, you know, the struggle to die daily to the flesh right. and uh, the fact that, the, you know, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak? I mean, there, there are a multiplicity oh, of yeah. indicators that, that show that even, I mean, even while Jesus himself, of course, as we understand, never succumbed to right. temptation, we know that even he himself was tempted. So 
I don't under, quite understand here then from a theological standpoint upon what they base this belief that if you've, if you've sinned once and you repent and you do it again in the same category, you've, you've clearly not received forgiveness at all. I mean, talk about a monumental burden to carry your entire life. You, yes, yes, it is. And, and they take that be perfect where God, you know, basically, you know, as Paul says in Romans, one of the ways we see our sin, our, you know, through the law, through the commandments, we become conscious of sin. Uh, they take that command where God is t- t- asking us to cry, uncle, I need help. And they make it become perfect. And that means, oh, you can work on it. It won't be easy, but it's possible. And if we can understand that burden, and then we can bring the wonderful gospel message that um, the Bible says. And, and one of the passages we love to use with LDS people is Hebrews 10, verse 14, where the writer says, By one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. That, that one offering of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, we are perfect, we are perfected by that one offering. Uh, it's interesting, uh, we go down to Utah and do mission campaigns, and once in a while we wear T-shirts that say, I'm perfect in Christ, ask me how. You won't, be, <laughs> you won't understand, uh, believe how many people stop us and say, tell me how. <laughs> if you've just joined our conversation, um, again, we're visiting today with Pastor Mark Cares, a look at speaking the truth in love to Mormons. So touching this issue here, Pastor, on... Um, <sighs> relieving the stress to try and, and live out a perfect life. Again, not to say that we shouldn't try to to hide Scripture in our heart, that we would not sin against Him. I mean, certainly we want to we want to work in that direction, uh, but we also have to understand, too, that this is this is a process. And uh, and toward that end, how do you go about addressing this or or, or sharing this truth with Mormons? The, the way we do it is we, we really encourage Christians, first of all, that they have to be sure of their own salvation in the sense that uh, one of the things that is almost like a magnet attracting LDS people is when we can say with great confidence and great joy, I know right now I am worthy before God. I am forgiven, not because of anything I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Even the tagline of our ministry is, is sharing Christ's work with Mormons because they put so much emphasis on their work that we just want to put the whole spotlight on the wonderful work of Christ's substitutionary work. Um, LDS people, when they think of, of Jesus, and as, a, as, a, as Jesus is talked about in the LDS Church, they often see him as an example, not so much as a substitute, but an example. Again, if you just think about that, those are pretty big shoes to follow. <laughs> And so what we're trying to do there, then, is just really pointing out that Jesus did it for you, that substitutionary idea. And, again, when we go down to um, uh, Utah and we go door-to-door and try to spread this message, uh, some people respond with tears of joy when they hear this message for the first time in their life. Let's get to some calls. We're going to go to Daniel in Oakland. Daniel, come on in with your comment or question for Pastor Mark Cares. Yeah, um, I, w- I just wanted to say that, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to teach somebody if you don't have the truth yourself, you know? So error pretty much begets error, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in order for them to see the truth, they have to be willing to actually open the Bible up and read the Bible. 
in its context. And the, the biggest thing, the biggest error that most people do is they take Scripture out of context, and then they go and they take it upon themselves to interpret the New Testament when the New Testament is actually the interpretation of the Old. So in order to understand what the New is talking about, you have to read in context and find out where that's being explained at in the Old, you know, in context. Well, I certainly agree with you on that point, but I have to wonder for, for Pastor Mark, I mean, in, in, in terms of sharing with a Mormon, because so much of their focal point is on the teachings that they have derived from the Pearl of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants, even though they embrace the Book of Mormon itself, they embrace the Bible itself, uh, quote-unquote, as far as it is translated correctly, uh, what about this issue? Uh, do we interject Scripture into the conversation early on? Uh, and I know some people say that absolutely we need to do that, but how do we do that in a contextualized format, as the caller is suggesting, that uh, that will draw them into the conversation as opposed to make them defensive? Yes, uh, and one of, the, one of the blessings in a way, uh, the LDS Church in the last 15 years, and probably many of your listeners realize this, have tried to be more Christian. They come off as Christian. The one blessing for Christians is that is that now many Mormons don't just totally reject the Bible, because that's not what Christians do. So, so they are actually uh, less inclined to reject it, so they are more open to, to reading it. Uh, what, the way we do it is we believe, you know, Romans 1.16, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we think it's essential to get God's power to them, God's word to them. But I think instead of... Um, what we have to do is give it in small doses, and if I have an ongoing relationship with an LDS, like a neighbor or a family member or something, uh, taking small doses and, and studying it in context is a wonderful way to doing it, and there are many LDS people who are willing to do that. Again, if you come off not attacking, but you're coming off with love, you know, uh, loving them, being ser- sincerely concerned for them, uh, if you have this ongoing relationship with them, they are willing many times to sit down and go through the Bible. But you have to go slowly because of the definition. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Mark Kerr is our guest today. Pastor Kerr is author of Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons. I'm curious, Pastor Kerr, in terms of equipping Mormons to answer objections that are tossed at them by um, Christians, um, are they trained to respond much the way, say, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses are? Uh, sometimes they are. It was it was interesting. Just one of my friends who used to be a LDS missionary just uh, emailed me about a week or so ago, and he said, "Yeah, when Christians brought out when he was on his mission, they brought out Ephesians two. He said we would block it with James two, and and they wouldn't know what to do. Um, James two, of course, <laughs> faith without works is dead. Yes, path. yes. <laughs> um, and, and and so I, I would say because especially so many of them have been on their mission. Right now, there's eighty three thousand LDS missionaries out there, um, and so they get that training over those two years of the common objections. And that's really one of the reasons why, like Ephesians two. Although it's a beautiful passage, it's one that they kind of are used to, 
and, and but like a Hebrews 10 passage they'd never heard before. So that's a little bit of a strategy there too. Help us think through this process then. As you've mentioned, it's oftentimes addressing some of the the soft spots, the tender spots in their faith that they internally struggle with. Uh, this issue of of the ongoing battle against sin is one of them. What else? Well, you know, a lot a lot goes in there. I, I think the other thing is just the there's there's a lot of peer pressure in Mormonism. If you look at most LDS churches, there's not really support groups per se. Um, they it's in a sense in Mormonism it's kind of every man for themselves and uh, if you're not strong enough too bad so another one of those pressures as unbelievable it might seem from their outward appearance is loneliness um, when an LDS person is struggling and if a Christian is again showing genuine concern for them um, often they will go to the Christian for help rather than to an LDS person. As striking as it might seem to you, I am a pastor. I've had LDS bishops come to me for counseling. It, it strikes me as a, as a religion that is terribly competitive, too, isn't it? Oh, there is a, such a success uh, uh, culture syndrome in Mormonism. It's very competitive. And it's not just in the religious uh, area, either. Uh, in Mormonism, uh, it, it's a work religion, you know, the beehive state, Utah is a beehive state, busy as bees, but that's in all areas of life. Uh, That's why, for example, I think uh, a lot of LDS people make excellent employees and so forth, because they're always striving for excellence in all areas of life. And of course, that's one of the stalwart positive sides of the teaching of this uh, faith. The problem, of course, is that at the end of the day, um, it it falls short of of the five fundamental pillars of Christianity, and, and, and therefore then the, the fact that this sense of kind of trying to struggle for, strive for their salvation um, is one that would seem to be of all the areas that there is a quote-unquote weakness, this is probably the penultimate. Yeah, this is the ultimate. Again, in our area, but all over, there's there's many people who are inactive Mormons. Uh, they sometimes are cultural Mormons. Sometimes they're, they're they're members of the church, but really are not active. And there's various reasons why they become inactive. But one big reason is that they just looked at it and they said, "This is an impossible religion to live. I just can't keep all these rules. I can't do it." And they give up. And I think the tragedy is that so few of them have ever really heard the message of Christianity. Um, Let's talk about that for a minute. If you had to distill it down to a handful of sort of primary keys to keep in the back of the mind of any Christian who wants to share and love on a Mormon, what would you say are some of the, the top priorities that ought to be on that list? I would say the top priorities, first of all, uh, show them genuine love, um, you know, we have Mormon missionaries who, who we have witnessed to, and they come back even after they're at, off their mission because they, they realize these are people who cared for them. So first of all, we got to put this loving face on Christianity um, that many times LDS people don't get from Christians. Put that loving face on, but then have honest discussions about sin and salvation. And part of that is really being totally open about, yes, uh, my sin, in a sense, I, I, I'm failing all the time, but thank God that Jesus did it for me, that even when I 
commit that sin again, why repeat that sin, I have the assurance because of Jesus' blood that I'm forgiven. If we can, if we can uh, exude to them our confidence and our joy in Christ, like I said before, that's, that's like a magnet uh, uh, attracting Mormon people to us. The book, Speaking the Truth in Love to Mormons, and again, available through the usual suspects as well as through Amazon.com. You can also get more information directly through Pastor Care's website at TILM. Think of Truth in Love Ministries, TILM.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.